Simon. And this is our first podcast episode, I believe, of the 2023-2024 season. So sorry for depriving you all of, of listening to two guys who met on an internet message board talking about basketball for, you know, an hour and a half or so. We'll, 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 we'll see how it goes. Pretty, pretty excited to be back. This is like the official like season two launch episode of our of of our of the other hand free throws so how are you feeling simon i'm feeling good about things we're in the thick of it with the the new nba in-season tournament i don't know how you feel about it i think the courts for me have been have been a little bit of a shock <laughs> i have a hard time with like all the the color that's involved i felt like it's pretty distracting but um I mean, the basketball at least has been pretty competitive and interesting, so that's a big plus. Yeah, the only it's just the red courts. Those are the only ones that I that I kind of agree with people. Oh like, man, this I is, was this is I was not much. loving uh, Utah's court. I watched Utah Portland last night. Oh, I do like that shade of purple though. I don't know. I don't. Know I feel like you get it used to it like halfway <laughs> through the game, but for the first half, it's pretty distracting. I feel like with a lot of college teams, they did such a good job of making the court like they, they've been using color courts for what the last like five six seven years but it's kind of always uh it looks tinted it has this mm. kind of like more faded or tinted vibe or like an or a pattern worked in and i think i always thought kind of like brooklyn's court is actually like they, they've got kind of a uh, one of those college style courts i think oregon does it as well yeah and those courts i always think look amazing like when i see highlights or from watching a game i'm just like this is this looks cool. So I didn't at first mind the colored course. And then I saw, I think the, the Bulls one was just shocking. Like, yeah. Ab- well, the colors that like, really I'm watching... stand out. <laughs> I mean, with more muted, you know, I don't, I don't know the, the right term for it. Right. But more neutral colors, I guess those are easier on the eyes. But when it's like a glaring, you know, I guess the worst case scenario would be like orange or yellow or something. But red is, is close. It's up there. Part of me felt like I was watching basketball in hell. Yeah. <laughs> like I want, I wanted some, you know, kind of RPG action adventure music to be playing in the background, like kind of like epic, like qu- choir sounds and deep drum beats. Like it, it, it had an infernal vibe going on. And you know what else has an infernal vibe is uh, watching the Chicago Bulls play basketball because yeah. that, that's not really fun either. But before we get into specifics, I guess like, you know, one nice thing about us kind of starting this season late is that we get to, you know, despite the the hot, hot heat of those infernal red courts at the 10 game mark is finally when the takes feel less hot. So that's kind of one thing I like about this part of the season is that like we actually do have some concept of these teams so which means everything simon and i say today is you know going to be smart and well informed and coming from a from cool level-headedness well i mean some patterns are starting to form i I think we still have more to learn especially like some of these young teams or teams that changed more during the offseason like you still don't really know what they're gonna be but yeah i mean the teams that have more continuity like you can or are good right away like you can say like, hey, this is a good team and that's probably not going to change outside of like injury or something. Yeah. And then another big thing with that is 10 games, the strength of schedule matters so much. Mm-hmm. Like some teams just haven't, I think at this, you can literally just look at each team when you're talking about them and be like, oh, they have quality wins over this team and this team. And then maybe the other ones are kind of questionable. But then for, you know, for people who like to check the numbers and just keep track of like, you know, offensive and defensive rating, or if you're, 
if you're a bigger nerd, you like to go adjusted offensive rating, adjusted defensive rating, which accounts for strength of schedule. But the numbers don't actually know which teams are that good yet. Like, like mm-hmm. over 10 games, enough funny things are happening. And it, like if they're using records as strength of schedule, like there's there's still some things that be kind of funny. So I feel if you want to know whether a team's had an easy schedule or a hard one, you really just have to look look at each opponent they've played and kind of make your own own call on that even though some teams is more obvious than others like if you look at the team yeah. with the worst strength of schedule markets it's pretty bad well and there's definitely a couple teams that we're going to touch on today that fit that description yeah and just to kind of illustrate what we're talking about if you remember the last time this year i think the jazz started out the season eight and three 11 games into the season and they finished outside the play-in so you will see some outliers there are definitely a couple of teams especially in the western conference who we'll just say like have a better record than was anticipated going into the season. And I mean, that certainly could be an indication of improvement and that could last, Um, but it could be another Utah jazz scenario where at the end of the year, they're in the play in or on the outside looking in. Is there anyone you feel fits that description perfectly? Well, I want to see more from the Rockets. Oh yeah. I mean, they're on a hot streak right now. Um, Dylan Brooks has been playing really well and has, you know, it, it been scoring shockingly efficiently given his track record. But I definitely want to see more from them. I mean, they are one of these teams that new coaching change, drastically different defensive system. They've had a ton of improvement, internal improvement from the young players, and they have a couple of new additions over the offseason as well through free agencies. So, I mean, there could just be a lot of improvement. The Rockets could absolutely, I mean, they're definitely a better team than they were last year. It's just a matter of like how much better. And that we still don't know. I think last year with Utah, like no one saw that coming. I did not hear one person or outlet with the take that Utah is going to be sneaky good. Like everyone thought that they were going to be bottom of the league. So no one got to come in and take credit for that take. But I think a big part of that was just their offense was so surprising. The Like the pieces they put together just kind of like produced this really explosive offense. They just had like a lot of shooting and, you know, I think Mike Conley is a really proven, just sort of like good organizer. Like he just boosts teams decision making at a, at a pretty high level. So to have Mike Conley there and all these finishing shooting weapons, like, and then, you know, Kelly Olynyk is there too, as sort of like a secondary passer. And it just like, it just really worked for a second, but the defense was bad even when they were like, like even at their peak, the defense was awful. So I never bought the last year that Utah was going to even before they traded off their players, is going to make the playoffs. Houston, though, I feel was a little bit more predictable. Not that I I'm, thought they'd have a six and three start, but I just thought they had a well-constructed roster. You didn't, and like, honestly, like the, besides like the young guys really haven't actually popped and, and taken this, to, you know, like Amon Thompson's not playing well and is injured now. Like Jalen Green hasn't really taken a jump. Tari Eason's not really playing. Shengun is the only one who's like taken a big level up in that regard. And Jabari Smith Jr. to you know to some extent as well, but like Sheng, the main thing with Sheng, like he was amazing last year, but Coach Silas just wouldn't put the ball in his hands. Yeah. So like there was, it's like you know for Coach Ime Udoka on the offensive side of the ball, some of this stuff was just like, well, let's just do the easy stuff that's already here. Last year, this team let Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green just like go ham, go buck wild, and he'd like be reigning in Shengun. Like Shengun was the one who needed to like. Too. And when it was kind of obvious that he was like by far the best offensive player on that team last year, mm-hmm. yeah, we didn't even we didn't even plan to talk about Houston today, but they are a fun team to talk about. Like it has been Dylan Brooks and like Fred Van Vliet's being steady Freddie out there because it's not like he's shooting the ball well. He's like 
he's kind of actually kept his pretty awful Raptors numbers there, but just like having a really like low to the ground ball handler who makes good decisions and helps set the table kind of thing has been big. Like Sean Tate is playing well. And like, it's like, yeah, funny stuff like that. It's not exactly what we predicted with like any of the young guys taking a big, they've been really solid on defense as well. I think he, eBay has helped simplify things for Shengun. He really just has to worry about, you know, keeping the, the lane protected now. Um, he's not out in space as much because they have improved yeah. their point of attack defense quite a bit. So, I mean, certainly some of that is the new additions, and Sh- Shingun grew two inches in the offseason. That <laughs> definitely helped. But, I mean, Every I, I think coaching is, a, two inches. coaching is a big reason the Rockets have improved so much on defense. Yeah. I just think that, like, that was, and I, you know, I never like to hate on a coach, but I feel like the job, the coaching job being done there was so bad that, like, not that Yudoka doesn't deserve credit. Like he, like they're they're six and three. They're one of the best teams in the West so far, and they've got a top six defense. That's amazing. That takes extra coaching. But some of the stuff, one of the reasons they're an okay offensive team, they're a top ten offensive team. They've won what five, six games in a row now. Is just like yeah, taking that low hanging fruit and the stuff that was an absolute mess. Like we're not gonna do that this year. Also, yeah. I think watching Jokic in the playoffs last year defensively. Like any team that plays a big like Shengun in drop anymore, like you should just you should fire your coach right away. Like we've just saw this long proven concept of of what to do with a quick footed non vert like a or sorry like a, a non vertical big that has okay like hands and feet. Um, anyways, that's not the team that we wanted to talk about. Say Houston got a bonus shout out, so you know good you know, they deserve it. Um, oh, one other the, one other early season yeah, quirk sorry, I wanted to mention is we're seeing the Bizarro Warriors from last year. They famously were just this abysmal team on the road that could not win a game and incredible at home. It's been the exact yeah. opposite this year. They've been terrible at home and great on the road. Yeah. So that'd be uh, maybe hilarious we... if that, that continued throughout the season. <laughs> yeah, the Warriors, are they're an adventure. Getting back in it. Like last night was an in-season tournament game and they're playing the Timberwolves who had kind of like handled them a couple nights ago. And just within the first within the first couple minutes, like Clay and Jane McDaniels got tangled up. And then Draymond um, you know, came flying in from the top rope and headlocked Gobert, who wasn't even like involved in the altercation. Yeah, like Gobert was like in Gobert was in there. He put his hands on on Clay, like he just yeah. you know in that it, like I mean everyone has different. It's crazy how different people's opinions are of like watching the same footage and people all want to say like who did what, but like Gobert definitely puts his hands on Clay. There's no. I think it was like Shaq who was like he was choking Clay first. I'm like. Well, if he was choking Clay, then how come as soon as Draymond grabbed him, he was just like immediately away from him? Like he had his hands on him, so I, I get it. If Draymond had come in and and split them up, that would have been like fine and normal, and you know, like call it a day. But of course, because it's Draymond, it's just like you just have to introduce <laughs> like a wrestling move <laughs> into the mix. And and he kept it up. I think like once you realize you got if it was an accident that he went for the neck, I feel like that's so you just you got to let the guy go. Then <laughs> like yeah. you can't just like I'm gonna keep backing up and yelling like I'm doing something normal. Like anyway, so that was that was fun. The in season thing is cool. I just like I, I like the I know lots of people just think anything the NBA does that's new is annoying, but I like that there's and even with the courts, I think they're like you know I hope they design them a little better next season maybe but like i like that there's these highlighted games it's just kind of like there's a night and the games are just like kind of like special and we all have like right now we're all just sort of like complaining about it but it is this like i do think it gives the regular season just an added little bit of structure that i think is is sort of interesting and also just common in every other sports leagues i don't don't know why nba fans are so finicky about it i don't think you've captured the full ridiculousness of the finickiness of nba fans 
It's simultaneously yeah. the state of the current league sucks and everything's bad and the regular season is so pointless, but also we can't change anything. Both have to yeah. be true. Some people just like to be, you know, exercise their sort of like critical thinking skills when it comes like to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm putting a nice way of saying people like to whine, whine and bitch. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Want to go on to our first team? We're going to try, we're going to just yeah. try to jump around and touch like 10 topics. We've already touched two that weren't on our list. So we'll, we'll see what we get into. Yeah. Um, we're going to, we're getting to get, we're going to get into some stuff that's kind of stood out early in the season that we found interesting. Hopefully you will too. Maybe most relevant to least relevant. Kind of looking at our list here, we we talk on some of the talk about some of the more you know teams that will be in the mix or championship contention later on down the line first, and then we get into some other teams and other topics that maybe not as relevant for the entire season. But the first thing we wanted to mention is Philadelphia. So the big question that we have, I mean, a lot of people are are talking about um, the situation in Philadelphia right now. They're eight and two. They've had some really quality wins. They went into Boston and beat the Celtics who have kind of been the early season front runners and mostly advanced metrics. So the big question we have is despite the loss of James Harden and despite only replacing him with, you know, a couple of cast offs from the Clippers, who one of whom wasn't even getting minutes, is Philadelphia better? I will say despite that one win that that win in Boston, it has been a kind of cupcakey schedule they beat phoenix as well but we know that phoenix isn't really kind of there yet you know in terms of their health you know there's a lot of so i mean they're looking amazing right now i think that this team is like last year i found philadelphia one of the most painful teams to watch like they were oh, yeah. slow <laughs> they were deliberate their defensive effort was like so inconsistent like you know that can be kind of maddening and bead was you know having a season having an mvp caliber season uh but it wasn't a kind of basketball that i really enjoyed watching he was just so aggressive as a scorer that like you know just sometimes like there's like double teams and you're just looking at like a wide open corner shooter and nb was just like shooting and like still scoring but just like it wasn't like that great to look at and and james harden really likes to control the pace and so again just this kind of plodding deliberate never run not that much sort of like inside out ball movement and just kind of like Philly hammering the, like the Harden and Embiid. Yeah. Just, just doing the thing that works, you know, pressing the, pressing the X button over and over and not, yeah, not yeah. a whole which lot is, of variation. Which is what James Harden does. Like he's like, he's the ultimate like X button smasher. He figures out what like, you know, X and square do. And that's like, that's, that's, that's going to be your whole night, but yeah. less on Harden for a second and more for the guy who's, you know, replacing those reps. And that's Tyrese Maxey, who has been a very good player in the NBA. These many years has improved every single season, but is now taking uh, a huge leap and the you know the scoring's great, but like he's he's taking like an astronomical leap as as a playmaker. Oh you know, yeah, he's, he's which this is what we were worried about. Like we we thought Philly was maybe dead in the water because they just didn't have any playmaking. Like Harden was their playmaker, and now it, I mean, the, like by the numbers, it hasn't actually gotten that much better. But looking at it, you'd never guess that. Like. The, they they love the, like they, they bring in these like side pick and rolls and they attack like super decisively. They swing the ball to the weak side before Kelly Oubre's car accident. Like hope you're 
doing okay. Kelly Oubre, yes. I hope you're back on the court soon and that you heal up fine and that it, you can continue doing the cool things you're doing. When he was on the court, like, you know, the swing weak side and Kelly Oubre could just like slice in, kind of like what Tyrese Maxey was doing last year. But, uh, you know, they'll do multiple pick and rolls in a possession. Like Tobias Harris is allowed to do things again. Mm-hmm. I think that's like like the, the offense just feels like all five players are involved all the time where last year it was it was it was Embiid Harden and then every now and then a counter to the weak side with Tyrese Maxey kind of like slicing in but that wasn't nearly as consistent so. yeah Tobias has been a pretty serviceable secondary playmaker I think the one thing that's just been really cool to see with Philly is like Tyrese Maxey was clearly capable in the games that Harden did not play last year or in the moments where he got to run the show when Harden on, was off the court, you got to see he was like, you know, pretty effective as a primary playmaker, but you don't really know how that's going to work when that's like his full-time job. And he's kind of stepped into that role just ready to go. I mean, he's currently has about a five to one assist to turnover ratio. Um, he's making good decisions with the ball. I think the coolest thing to see for Philly for me has just been like how much more dynamic their offense is. Because although Philly was effective last year, predictability is is what kills teams in the playoffs, right? Because it's easy to figure out, and that's the opposite of what you want. And with with Maxi taking over the lead role, I think what you're seeing with Philly is a lot less predictability because there's just like a lot of things that Maxi can do. I mean, he adds a really excellent dash of athleticism and burst and speed. Um, but he's not just a guy that runs pick and rolls and is really fast and can get the rim. I mean, he's he's got a really nice floater game, so he yeah. doesn't necessarily have to get all the way to the basket to be effective. Um, obviously, he's been making good decisions with the ball, and he will kick it out and find the open man if he's trapped. And he's also, I mean, he one thing I've loved to see from him is he takes the screen from just different areas on the court constantly. And I know a large part of that is Nick Nurse as well. But you'll see him like run a low pick and roll on the left side and then a high pick and roll above the break the next possession. You know, it it's there's not really a lot for the defense to key in on and really figure out how to stop. I think one thing with Maxi that has felt limiting in the past is like he needs a he needs a runway to create separation, right? Like if you get if if he gets to take a couple of steps before he gets into his before he gets into the defender he's at full speed and he's unguardable but that can be if you're just kind of standing on the perimeter that's not always going to be easy to generate and like his ability to generate separation just kind of disappears when he doesn't have that so what nick nurse has done is like kept the ball in maxi's hands but also like always like so much of their offense is creating runways for maxi so it always feels like he's going downhill like it just like he's playing on like a slide right now, just sort of like and he gets into and like he either he gets to the rim or he gets into his floater game. He's been such a reliable shooter now for like his whole career that we just have to be like, this is kind of one of the best shooters in the NBA. And like even like look at his like his free throw percentage is like he's gonna be getting into the like he's at ninety four percent so far in the season. He's never had a mm-hmm. season like like 80, like 84 or 85 is the worst he's ever shot from the line. That, that's like, I don't think people know how rare that is. That's like not that many guys. Like if he, if he improves even a, a little bit or just kind of like, if he has a 90% seasons, like he'll be one of the best free throw shooters of all time. And that's just, that's pretty insane. And yeah, he doesn't have to, he doesn't really have to like stand around and wait anymore. Tyrese actually just gets to keep attacking. And like you say, from different angles, the offense is set up. So they'll run like different versions of the same play from like different spots on the court kind of thing, rather than have to like get into their sets. So yeah, I mean, I don't know how like Raptors fans feel about watching just Nick Nurse go to a new team, a team that was supposed to like, I thought Nick Nurse was actually in a bad situation because like, oh, you go to this team that's supposed to be a contender and immediately 
they alienate their their second best player or like you know there's a there's a conflict between them and it looks like philly's going to take a step back without a clear way to take a step forward yeah. and instead nick nick nurse is just being like no we're good like i'm gonna i'm going to like get you know get back to reminding everyone that i'm like you know one of the like top three to five coaches in the nba after raptors fan like and then to see the like the, the raptors offense go from like they've stopped doing all the Nick Nurse stuff. They don't offensive rebound. They don't like, so the, all they have now is their janky half court defense. And it's like, I don't know, maybe that Nick Nurse stuff wasn't so bad. I feel like I'm a Nick Nurse fan. So I feel a little bit vindicated by just watching him immediately hit the ground running and improving a team that was in sort of a difficult spot and get some of the love that he deserved. Cause I just feel like he always finds ways to take a team and like the ingredients they have and, and kind of get the most out of them. The other thing, I guess we should talk about in terms of Philly is just the like, you know, they did trade Harden, but they got they got some players back that everyone kind of treated as throw ins. I mean, they've been great for Philly. (laughs) Philly's biggest haul was just having like serviceable wings, you know, they needed guys who are like actual rotation players and not just guys off the scrap heap, you know, veteran minimum type players. I just feel like they, they they had one PJ Tucker and now they have two PJ Tuckers. Yeah. And, but Robert and Covington PJ Tuckers who shoot better. Yeah, Robert Covington, I mean, despite making the return to Philly, the place where he kind of came up as an NBA player, he hasn't made much of an impact yet. I mean, he's, he's playing pretty light minutes. He hasn't really done a whole lot. Batum has filled in, I think, really nicely. They just needed that, like, really serviceable, strong backup guy who can play the, for, the power forward, who can switch a little bit, perfectly fine connective passer perfectly fine as a floor spacer just you know fills a lot of the gaps it's really a guy that they're missing i mean it was kind of tobias harris and then you know not a whole lot else the past couple of years i think the i think the big thing about these two players being in philly is on the defensive side of the ball obviously but but specifically both those wings are i know they're both older now but like they're still kind of in the upper 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 percentile of of backline defenders for wings like they're like yeah. they are two got like their whole career well i don't know about batum early on i feel like batum used to be more of a point attack defender but now batum and always robert robert covington have been just killers on the back line like if you which means like mm-hmm. there used to be like kind of like utah used to be with gobert just like we've got a monster backline defender in Embiid. But if you pull him out of his shell, our defense just completely collapses and you're yes. just slicing us up. Where now, Embiid, now they've got this freedom for Embiid not to be so afraid of leaving the paint. And like he not that he's like an amazing perimeter defender, but he's a mobile giant guy that if you're just getting to, to, to bounce out and your defense doesn't have to completely collapse, that's a huge bonus. So having mm-hmm. Batum or Robert Covington on the floor uh, like covers a huge hole that I feel like Philly had exploited quite a bit the past two years in the playoffs kind of thing. So I think that's a, that's a big pickup and just that they can put all kinds of like strong offense, defense lineups out there with like the Anthony Melton, Robert Covington and Batum, like bringing it on defense and then having like obviously Embiid and Maxi and Ubre and Tobias Harris. It's also cool to see Tobias Harris back in more of a, like getting to like create and run pick and rolls. Cause that's what he was good at back. What, like what earned him a max contract was like, mm-hmm. he was playing for the Clippers. He got traded to the Sixers. He was like getting to run pick and roll and be a versatile player. He's never been like an amazing, like spot up shooter, which is like under doc rivers. It was just sort of like Tobias will, you know, pump and drive or, 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 you know, catch and shoot. And it was like, just kind of not, he, Tobias Harris did fine, but there's a reason we had like no one 
thinks Tobias Harris is like anywhere near an all-star level player now. And this is kind of a reminder, like, like, like he kind of is a little bit. I mean, he's just, just he's just super solid, you know, at this point. Yeah. I think he's improved defensively the past few years. And then, you know, he's starting to become ironically near the end of that huge contract. He's starting to finally become worth it as just like a really high level, really high level third option that can kind of fill the gaps when your, your primary guy is sitting out, you know, it's now kind of justified of that level of money. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see, you know, Philly over the whole season, like whether they can survive an injury and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I do feel like while this team has really nice depth at full strength, like the the loss of like the kind of bulwark of talent that Harden is, like, you know, if Embiid or Maxi go down for any kind of stretch, this could turn into something a little a little janky for a while. But at the same time, Nick Nurse is kind of good at janky. So I feel like that he that might help them survive some. I, I think some it hurts their regular season record. Like, but you know, maybe they're seeding a little bit if they do suffer a yeah. massive injury. I'm not really sure it changes their playoff hopes at all. I think I, I had gotten to the point with Harden especially where I'm like, you know, this this the style of basketball is not it's not going to beat the Celtics, you know. Probably yeah. not going to get you past the Bucks either. Like I just I'm not really sure what that. I thought they had a pretty hard ceiling with Harden in terms of the Eastern Conference playoffs, and that leads me into my final question for you about the Sixers. So the trade with the Clippers netted them a couple of picks. One of them is 2026. It's, it's the worst of the the OKC Houston or the Clippers. So not necessarily a super high value pick, but then they also have unprotected Clippers in 2028 and they have a swap in 29. They do owe their own 25 and 27 first rounders. So they cannot trade 26 and 28, but they can trade their own 2029 or 2030. So they have some draft assets to work with. They can trade off some swaps as well. Do you think this team should go all in? Do you think that you know, I, I'm just making the assumption here. Both me and you are on the same page. Where they're not, they're still not quite the top of the Eastern Conference. Do you think you, they could get there with a trade? And do you think that's something they should be doing? I mean, they have Daryl Morey still running the team, so yeah. that means like a permanent state of of big game hunting. Um, I feel like I hear so this will... this team in you know, <laughs> OG Ananobi is the name that keeps coming up. I I don't love that name. I know you're you haven't in the past been a huge fan of Toronto trading him in the first place. So I'm kind of trying to look past that and seeing if there's anything else out there for the Sixers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We won't have to get into the Ananobi thing now. But yeah, in terms of like, who are they linked to recently? Someone, someone. Yeah, right. The Bulls are the Bulls are basically in, in blow it up mode. Right. The Bulls are yeah. the Bulls are four and seven. They've got a, they, the Bulls are four and seven and have that horrible looking court that is just you know tanking their <laughs> well, season. That, the biggest the court cost them at least a couple injury. of those wins. So. I like yeah. Do I like the idea of Zach Levine going there? I don't know. Like, I'm not. I'm not really crazy about that. Just because I, I do think like you know, despite the the bolstered Democratic offense, like I do think there is a, a lack of really high level decision making in Philly since and and Zach Levine. I'd rather see Zach Levine go to a go to a place where he kind of does just get to be this like relentless finisher i don't love the idea of a levine maxi backcourt but i can see them sniffing around but like i mean maury's funny because he like he tends to ignore the like borderline all-stars yeah like, i know he's much Which is like <laughs> what this team needs right now so yeah i like i i think if there was a if there's a toronto trade to happen i think it would be for siakam mm-hmm. not for og and i think that would be a better fit 
there as well. I, you know, just the sort of like from a passing and defense perspective. Any other team, like, you know, would they go after any of Washington's pieces? Again, that's that kind of like sub all-star category that I don't think Daryl Morey is that interested in. The other big thing to consider here is that like Philly has been hoarding cap space next year. Yeah, and people so they probably don't want to ruin that. Yeah. And and then the, the reason I kind of look at Siakam is that he's an expiring. Mm-hmm. So like, but if they're going to trade for him, his cap hold, will it still eat into their cap room? I, I don't know. I think this is like, I think, I think this team is going to stay flexible right up to the deadline and they're going to look at what they can do. And if there's something really exciting, they'll go for it. And if not, they'll, they'll roll into, into cap space next off season. The only reason I'm I'm excited about it is I feel like this team is, is close with how good Maxi has been with how much, what the, the teams as a, from a defensive standpoint, is just better and much more well-rounded, much more equipped to handle a Milwaukee or a Boston. Yeah. I just feel like they're like within striking distance if the right deal comes up. Yeah. Another, like just some kind of random name that I like to see there is Lowry Markkinen, obviously. I feel like Lowry Markkinen and Siakam mm-hmm. are like the power fours. People, you know, most like a lot of these teams should be thinking of adding just also like they're theoretically mm-hmm. available. I can't really see like Mem- like a Mac- Memphis is in total collapse right now, but I don't think yeah. they're going to overreact to that and trade anyone. Like imagine Jaron Jackson Jr. and next to Embiid, that'd be well, cool. But let me propose I, this I to you. Fabian. The two other competitors in the Eastern Conference, two other main competitors in the Eastern Conference, really struggle with well i mean i i I don't know if struggle is the right word have at least some difficulty in defending really heady smart kind of ball handling playmaking wings i think that's kind of maybe the one weakness that you can really get at boston with if you have enough of those Mm -hmm. guys so i don't i don't know if it necessarily will take a siakam i mean honestly what would be perfect is like a jimmy butler like that's the ideal player (laughs) so how do you how do you get like a discount version of jimmy butler I don't know what, if what's a... the discount version of Jimmy Butler, like Robert Covington, <laughs> Nicholas Batum. Yeah, but Robert Covington isn't gonna like attack guys off the dribble. And no, I'm I'm, I'm kidding. No. The only guy I could think of off the top of my head where he's not making a ton of money, so he wouldn't like ruin your chances of of signing a max level guy in the off season is like Bogdanovich on the Hawks because they're gonna get into second apron issues and are probably gonna want to unload some money anyway. And he's given the Celtics problems in the playoffs before. Oh, I got another obvious one that everyone just forgets about because he's just been injured for the last couple of years, but he's healthy right now and maybe he won't get injured again. That's Gordon Hayward. Yeah, that's true. Like Gordon Hayward, I think is expiring now. So like is not a big money player anymore. He's averaging 17 points. He gets to the line. He's kind of, mm-hmm. he's like a, he's sort of, his game is, has sort of more morphed into bully ball. Like he kind of likes to get the ball in the mid range and just, he's kind of like a thick, strong guy. There's a good passer. Like, I think that fits. I think that's your discount Jimmy Butler right there. They're almost the exact same size. That's like the archetype of the player. player But I I worry about that phrase if Gordon Hayward can stay healthy. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't since like he left Utah, like not quite 10 years ago. You know, 2018, I think is when he went to Boston or 2017. Anyways, like yeah. it was a long time ago. And he has not played, I think is sick. I think he kind of bounced back. Like he played a lot of games that next season in Boston, but he was kind of a shell of himself. Mm-hmm. And then since he's kind of returned to his previous level of production, but for about like 40, 50 games a season. So, but I mean, just because like, an injured 
an injured past does sometimes beget an injured present and future, but um, sometimes players just like their luck improves and there's, I, you know, I think Gordon Hayward could have a healthy next three seasons or something like that. And, you know, this just be a, it's a shame that like his prime kind of got wiped out by a lot of this, but he's still yeah. putting up like numbers. Like he hasn't, I think people assume there's been a drop off as a player as well. And that, that's not really the case. Like he's still pretty close to what he was in Utah. Yeah, I like I like that name, especially because, you know, Charlotte is going to want to open things up for Brandon Miller more and more as he's been pretty good so far as a rookie. And they, this is one of those teams where they're probably going to be happy to unload a veteran for draft, draft capital. So, yeah, I'm surprised that we haven't heard Gordon Hayward's name just mentioned more in general as, mm-hmm. as, a, as a target because he's very productive in Charlotte when he's healthy. Yeah. OK, anyways, do you want to talk about one of these other? It's yes. funny because when you when, when you said uh, there's the main challenges for the two main challengers for Philly in the East. I was like Boston and who? I see. Is Simon talking about Miami? I guess like they're in third. Maybe right I should now. be talking about like... Miami. <laughs> <laughs> but I realized now that you meant this next thing we want to talk about, which is the Bucks, the Milwaukee Bucks. Who? Yes. The Damian Lillard led Milwaukee Bucks. I've, I'll be you know full disclosure. I've watched two Milwaukee games this year. I I watched them get beat down by. Atlanta and I watched them win a close one in Detroit and I don't have a lot of like like so obviously we know they're starting two defensive sieves sieves however you pronounce that at the at in their backcourt they like Only two. Um, I think one of the most alarming things a coach said in the preseason was that Malik Beasley is going to be our stopper. So shout out Adrian Griffin. How's that? How's that going for you? Maybe, you know, sometimes you just want to speak things into existence, but that doesn't always work. And Malik Beasley is not stopping people and neither is Dame Lillard. And this Bucks team looks very bad. They're six and four things like that. You know, it's not like it's completely fallen apart, but they have the net rating of a, of a much worst team they're like they've got a negative net rating they're they're like a bottom 10 team that's managed to scrounge out some wins and when i watch them play it's like the most random stuff ever like they don't like they don't run Giannis dame pick and rolls they don't like they do lots of weird funky stuff so i kind of maybe want to wait a like my take right now in the bucks is like let's see if they're still doing this weird stuff in a couple months (laughs) Because right now I just don't know what I'm looking at. Like it's just it just seems like they go out there and they play on random mode every night. Like they're like they're trying out stuff. Like they're just like I'm just gonna experiment the first third of the season or something. Yeah, I mean their ability to defend the perimeter looks terrible. Chris Middleton has you know he he's still not healthy, so maybe it's too early to judge. He's still only playing like 15, 20 minutes a game, but he looks in unable to stay in front of anyone. And I'm not really sure how they defend, you know, competent guards or wings to any reasonable degree. I guess the the one bright spot is they're not allowing a ton of shots at the rim, thanks to Lopez and Giannis. But there's not really a lot else that you can look to towards their defense and see much hope there. So I don't. Maybe that is something that can be fixed uh, scheme wise. But I'm not sure. They they really don't have good personnel defensively either, outside of the the two stalwarts in the back end. It was definitely always keeping an eye on um on their on their young guys. Like still, I'm keeping an eye. Like Marjan Marjan Bo Bochamp is is in the rotation. Yeah, which I'm happy he's probably to see. The, like he's, he's probably he, the bright spot because he's just he's really stout. Yeah, 
Andre Jackson is the other one that I kind of keep an eye on. It's yeah. just like I don't, like you know the the shooting struggles there are probably a problem in like Giannis lineups, but you know mm-hmm. Dame. Dame has made workable offensive like Dame's made a lot of workable offensive lineups with a whole mm-hmm. lot of not shooting. So oh, I yeah. don't really see why you couldn't thinking back to the, uh, the Mo Harkless days. Yeah. Mo Harkless and Al Farouk Aminu. Yeah. That was like <laughs> and that that was the best Portland team, just right? Four like, dudes that was the in best... the paint at all times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he does you know, he doesn't quite have a CJ next to him in terms of the you know, dual threat perimeter creators, but you know, Brooke is a competent shooter. Malik Beasley is like, that's, you know, the only thing he's really supposed to definitely be bringing to a lineup. So I don't think it's like, we already knew this was going to be a weakness. We knew this was going to be a bad perimeter defense. Yes. We've seen like, we've seen teams like Cleveland last year, start two tiny guards and like beat the best defense in the league off of two defensive bigs. My, Milwaukee has those two defensive bigs. I'm not saying they should be the best defense in the league, but I'm saying they should be able to come up with a scheme that puts them in a place of advantage on most possessions. Yes, um, that's true. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're they're almost a bottom five defense at this point. They're like borderline top ten offense. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's not it's not looking... I, I just think, like, let's check in with them in, in a month and see if, we're, if, if they're still doing these these silly things. The one thing with, with Milwaukee is their opponents are shooting insanely well from mid-range, like an unsustainable level, like almost 50% from mid-range. Yeah. You, you don't expect to keep that, that to keep up, even if Milwaukee is allowing a, mid, a wide-open mid-range shot on every possession. They're not going to – opponents are not going to continue to shoot 47% from mid-range for the whole season. That's, that's a bit – I mean, ridiculous. last year – Last year, Brooke was a was a wall in the mid range. Like the, you know, like mm-hmm. they they used him in this like it was like a, a a modified drop scheme where he just kind of was like a couple steps higher. So if people were coming off of screen and roll possessions, like Brooke was just a wall, just firmly planted there at the foul line. Like there wasn't any kind of mid range to get. Where this year, like mm-hmm. they they stretch Brooke out further, and that like that's what they're surrendering a lot of kind of thing. And maybe Adrian Griffin thinks that's a clever idea, but I do think if you give up easy mid-range shots to the wrong kinds of teams and you can definitely get burned in that space. So yeah, they're funky. They're not super fun yet. I think Bucks fans are very, very worried. Like despite the record not being that bad yet, like the basketball does not look good. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. Let's talk about another super funky, crazy team in Cleveland. You briefly alluded to similar construction. Yeah, I mean, Cleveland, they're back to being a top five defense. They kind of picked up right where they left off last year. The offense has been pretty dreadful, just from like kind of an eye test. I guess, you know, numbers-wise, it's a little bit better than that. But yeah, I mean, they're they're kind of back right to where they were last year. They can't really make shots from anywhere. They are Their offense is propped up a little bit just from Donovan Mitchell being able to get to the line. And they're just defending the heck out of everyone. Yeah, they have a... Like in terms of a really tough schedule, they've had a really tough schedule. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've only had Garland have... for a couple of games. Yeah, they well, they, and it's not just Garland. It's not just Garland. Like they don't have. They've only had three players. Like it's only George Niang, Max Struess, and Evan Mobley who have been in all ten of their games. Mm-hmm. Garland's played six. Jared Allen's only played five. Isaac Okoro's played six. Like their rotation has not been. I just think it's been a bit of a you know less than ideal start for them, but they have really had all I, I, every game i've tuned into there's been someone there's been someone missing and getting their four main players together is is pretty crucial i do want to say like you know we all 
patted them on the back this offseason for bringing in Max Struess and George Niang. And we yep. all wanted to be like, hey, they've they've addressed their shooting. But adding shooting on the margins is not the same thing as like structurally addressing the lack of, of shooting from their front court. So like it's, you know, I don't want to call it like a Band-Aid. It's a little better than a Band-Aid. It's like a, you know, a medium term bandage. <laughs> we can call it a sling maybe. There's like a, yeah, um, there's like some gauze it's wrapped in yeah. athletic tape. Yeah, you had like you know, someone with some better first aid training was, was there to help out, but you didn't get a you didn't get a full yeah. on you know person with a medical degree or, or yeah. a licensed nurse. No, it's it's a it's, it's someone who's still in med school. They're doing their like their practicum. Yeah, the yeah. analogy has broken and, down. <laughs> <laughs> we've explored it. We've, yeah. we've explored the, the the medical world of this analogy. Max Drews is an in, inconsistent shooter, and he's not a crazy versatile shooter. Like he's like mm. he's very much a catch and shoot guy. He's yeah. not quite like a you know he's not quite a movement shooter that you run off three screens and and you know he comes off a screen and sticks a dagger. He likes to get his feet nice and set. He's a wonderful catch and shoot player. He's a bit streaky. He came out in game one, I think, and just like led the team in scoring and it looked like okay cleveland's fine cleveland cleveland has solved everything because max Struess is going to score 30 points like i think he had 27 or something in the opener yeah. he is though like he, he's a player that adds shooting but he's also like he's kind of tough and scrappy and versatile like i do mm. think he brings a lot to their lineup but he's not like a singular source of gravity that is going to, to fundamentally change things with them and george niang hasn't really like george niang is an amazing ridiculous shooter who can't do yes. anything else yeah. but he hasn't shot the ball well to start the season so well I, I had the most thoughts about cleveland i wrote a lot of it down basically <laughs> it boils down to when i watch cleveland i don't really get the impression that you know whoever is in the lineup at the three position not being able to shoot was their only source of offensive woes from last year i think it, I mean, it was a, couple, a big one but it was know. a big one but there's a couple things I, I think a there's just a significant lack of offensive creativity Mobley is is pretty much just chilling in the dunker spot like the entire game. And I, I understand he can't stretch the floor yet. He's not really a guy that you want dribbling the ball a lot and making decisions. But like there has to be other ways to use him on the court than just standing in the same position at all times and making sure his defender is is with like just hanging out there ready to greet Mitchell anytime he drives into the paint. I just think there needs to be more off-ball motion or something a little bit more imaginative than high pick and roll and Mitchell isolations pretty much every possession. I would, and, and also, I would personally like to... Well, just a few other things really quick. I kind of looked at the different aspects of their offense and, and how they're doing in terms of the league. They're below average in transition efficiency. They're just average in isolation and in pick and roll. They're not very good at offensive rebounding. They're a little bit above average in, in free throw rate. But they, I mean, the point is they're, they don't really excel at anything offensively. And I think in order to improve that, I mean, you can't, you can only speed up Mobley's development or encourage Mobley's development so much, uh, but I don't think that should be a reason to keep the team stuck in the mud until if and when that happens. Um, so I think outside of a big trade to shake things up and they don't really have guys that they want to trade or draft picks to make that happen, I think uh, coaching is probably the next thing you have to look at. I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm usually don't like to condemn a coach, but I think like, like, I think those playoffs were miserable, like eye-openingly miserable, just like you forgot, you, you, you didn't show up with a, with a usable plan at all. Like you got like, that was a humiliating loss. Like the Knicks are a solid team. You should not like, 
to be able to not to have Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell on your roster and not be able to generate anything approaching like, you know, NBA level average offense was a bit shocking. I would just, I would like to see someone else take a crack at this. That's kind of how I feel watching mm-hmm. this roster. Just sort of like, I, I, I wanted to give Bernie Bickers or JB Bickerstaff, not his, not his father, not, 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 not Bernie, but, but John Blair Bickerstaff. I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt coming into the season, especially sometimes when a team gets smacked around so hard in the playoffs, they, they're given a lot of stuff to work with and come back and like know what they can fix structurally. And like, it's exactly like you described, like a pretty like moribund, slow, uninventive offense that does not seem to be playing to the player's strengths at all. No, so I'm kind of like if, if yeah, and, this and is two, what he's two do, or three like, Cavaliers in every possession are just standing there motionless. And if you yeah. look at well-coached offensive teams, they don't do this. Like the Kings don't have a wealth of like excellent outside shooters. And yet, you know, well, they've had kind of a rough start well, this season, but you know, last, <laughs> last season, you know, last season they found ways to get around that by attacking hard in transition and, and keeping things moving on the, even in the half court. Yeah. And just like, yeah, tons of 45 cuts, lots of Iverson cuts. Like I would like to, I wouldn't see Mobley just used a lot more as a hub. I would, I would disagree with you a little bit on like, I do like him with the ball in his hands, not necessarily as a scorer, but I think he is a good decision maker in the past. He's had some nice high, low action with Jared Allen. I would just like to see a few more like dribble handoffs with him rather than you say, just sort of like, well, I don't exactly know how to use mobile amazingly. So I'll kind of just, yeah, stick him in the dunker spot. Despite the yeah. fact that I've got a, another center that I need to stick in the dunker spot. It's just sort of like, it's not. Yeah. And the other thing, great. the other thing is like, whoever's setting the screen, they can't necessarily roll to the rim right because the other big man is hanging out in the paint that's kind of the problem like you're you're neither of the guys can pick and pop but they also can't really pick and roll the way the team's offense is constructed yeah though i do think you know i I think jared allen who's missed half the season so far is a bit of a maestro in in tight spaces at finding like at finding lots of short roll stuff to do so i do think there's actions where you can where you can free up and create a little bit of space and i think jared allen only needs a little space to become a lob threat and you know he has some good rim gravity but i think i think like yeah why what like the high pick and roll doesn't seem like an amazing offense for their big men but i think you can kind of like you know get in the paint and, and muck things up and i do think that both mobley and jared allen are smart and like capable of doing a little bit more than just sort of being rim runners and i don't know like before you know before you like everyone wants to break up break up the bigs because of this like structural flaw that that is like you know easy to see in cleveland but i i i just i kind of want to see another coach see if like i just don't want to give up that like top five automatic defense that you have by pairing these two centers together like that's that's kind of where I'm at too. In matchups where you need it, you you can put a really high level catch and shoot player at the three. So I mean that has already been shored up um, to some extent. You can at least put a guy on the floor that the defense has to pay attention to. You know, like yeah. teams aren't gonna they're not gonna like sag off George Niang, even yeah. if he's not shooting I... particularly well. So like yeah, you you yeah. want to you want to just see the team try more stuff. Like you have these you have these advantages. Like you have a massive size and length advantage and two guys that have like really excellent hands. So you kind of feel like you should be able to, to, I guess, operate a little bit more out of the paint and not just have the guards try to create everything. They basically haven't really, they haven't really played a bad team yet. They played the Kings. 
Yeah, but the Kings are good. Like, you know, the Kings aren't having a good start, but like, yeah. this is like, they haven't played amazing teams either, but it's just sort of like, you know, after, after, after Brooklyn, it was just sort of like, OKC, Indiana, who's got a, who's the best offense in the league. Then it's like yeah. two games against New York and then it's Indiana, Golden State. Like they've played the same group of really solid teams. They might be back to what they were last year in terms of being like a top 10 offense and the number one defense had they just played a couple more games against Detroit or, or Memphis or San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And they just haven't hit a soft part of their schedule yet. So like, yeah, so adjusted numbers really like adjusted numbers has them as the 10th best offense and fifth best defense if you're incorporating strength schedule, but you know, like raw, I think they're like, you know, they're, they're closer to 20th in both those categories. So yeah. hasn't been a good start. They've been hurt. I'm still discouraged for their like playoff run this year, but yeah. I'm not discouraged about their regular season yet this year. I do think this team can kind of coast to competent basic offense off the backs of their star guards and sleepwalk into a top five defense. I, I am really worried about, about Mobley's shooting, though. That's the one that yeah, you want to say. Like, if Mobley can't shoot, then it's like, it just hasn't come along at all. And that's just like, that changes the ceiling of what kind of player we were expecting. Like, I, until a couple of weeks ago, I was kind of like, next KG, next Kevin Garnett, the small ticket. The, like, But if, if he's just not going to be a shooter at all, that's like, that's a whole missing part of the equation where you just can't be Kevin Garnett if you can't shoot. Well, let's let's talk about a team that kind of has the inverse problem of the Cavaliers, mm. where they, they're awesome on the offensive side of the ball and really struggling to figure things out defensively. That is the Mavericks of Dallas. Yeah. I know you were could excited to talk about this team. Yeah. I could have said the Pacers here too. I feel like they fit the exact definition of, of yep. what you just said, but it's true. But yeah, I mean, I think like you wanted to ask the question, like, can they defend well enough to make it work? And <laughs> I, my response is no, not as my big feeling on that is <laughs> now. So I do think, Dallas has has raised the defensive basement like last year after the Kyrie trade it was like kind of like what we were just saying with 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 Cleveland in the playoffs where it's like well you can't even play like NBA level offense at all Dallas mm-hmm. was in a position where they couldn't play NBA level defense at all I do think that they've they, they've put a floor in it's not like we're gonna be a bad defense <laughs> but like I think right now what are they they're like 25th that's a bottom five defense but it doesn't feel like bottom five and oh my god this is a nightmare kind of thing it's like we're a weak defensive team but the fact that they play grant williams Derek lively and Derek jones jr like pretty heavy minutes gives them like it just makes them okay none of those guys are great defenders they're all okay defenders Derek lively i think is going to be a great defender Mm -hmm. grant williams is only okay but he's sort of like i do like how you can't really switch that Act, like it's really funny that Grant Williams and Luka Doncic look like they're the exact same size. So it's like, it makes for funny little matchup things and allows them to sort of like switch a little bit. They're like, just both like, I don't know, six foot six, like really thick, strong dudes. Yeah. Luka's, Luka Doncic's offense has also, sorry, his defense has been like much better than it was last year. He's like not getting scored on in isolation. So I still think he's a weak defender. He has a little bit of that like James Harden thing where it's like, well, he's a weak defender because he doesn't really like move around enough, but you can't isolate him and score on him because he's just, he's, he's, tall enough and he's ridiculously strong so like he's going to be able to make himself an obstacle and the one thing Kyrie Luke, has been trying to the one thing Luca has always had is like really great hands so every once in a while he'll yeah. he'll pick a ball out of out of midair out of flight in in passing yeah. lanes so he'll he'll get you a couple extra possessions a game just from that yeah I just think the whole their whole they've got 
they're being smart about having a big chunk of their rotation being defensive oriented players. Mm-hmm. It's just that they're defensive oriented players. They're all kind of like B level defenders. They don't have a level defenders on this yeah. roster. Grant Williams is good. He's not great. All these guys are like good, not great. Maxi Kleber is an amazing defender, but he's barely in the rotation. He's been hurt half the season and his offense, like, you know, he's getting older and his offensive game is really not been there lately. Well, I mean, they have been by the numbers, the worst uh, team at, protecting the rim when opponents get there in the NBA and by, by a decent margin as well, teams are shooting almost 70% of the rim, which is kind of insane. So maybe that's a bit of an outlier that'll cool down a little bit as the season goes on, as, as Derek Lively starts to feel a bit more comfortable. They are forcing a lot of shots in the mid range, which is a plus defensively, and they don't allow a ton of free throws. Um, so they're not fouling like crazy. My biggest problem with them though, is just that like, you know, they're eight and three, They've got the second best offense in the NBA. It's an amazing offense. The offense is going to keep up, but they've played a joke schedule. Like, look, like, look at these games. It's like they beat San Antonio. They beat Brooklyn. They beat mm-hmm. Memphis. Everyone's beating Memphis. They beat Chicago, Charlotte, Orlando, the Clippers after the James Harden trade, who have not won a game Ooh, against anyone. The worst team um, in the and, NBA. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And the Pelicans. So it's like, yeah, know, that's true. They haven't, they haven't played anyone good. Like the Pelicans are okay. They're kind of, struggling in their own right you know they got creamed by denver toronto beat them pretty soundly and and then the pelicans kind of came back after they beat them and and beat them by over 20 points so it's just sort of like teams that can uh, like teams are gonna attack their defense pretty relentlessly yeah and on nights where you know maybe the shooting falls off they're not gonna be able to compete so i don't look at this team and see a a contender right now i do think that they've gotten back to the formula of like okay we got luca and we got shooters and we got rim runners so we're always going to be like dangerous and competent mm-hmm. i just wouldn't be surprised if they go through the next like 20 games and we're looking at more of a you know a 500 team going into december or something like this you know sort of going into january it's kind of like the atlanta hawks the past couple of years you know elite offense and pretty crappy defense yeah. And yeah, as we've seen with the Hawks, that kind of results in 500 basketball. You make the eight seed, seven or eight seed, and you lose the first round. That's kind of where that yeah, gets Yeah, I think. And the Hawks have been a better defensive team than the Mavericks this year. This year, yeah. A, a, yeah, they've got that nice kind of collection of, of wings, and, you know, they got mm-hmm. two decent big. They always got a good big on the floor. Yeah. Every uh, time you talk about the like, Mavericks, it always leads into the Hawks. It's just. It's well, I think. And, I, and the other team, you know, I really linked to them is like, is Indiana, who is like, you know, Indiana's like, obliterating the league offensively but they're even worse defensively than the mavericks kind of thing and yeah. and you know how high i was on the pacers going into this season mm-hmm. and so i think like any anyone who knows that is like oh you're you're like you were right you're happy about the pacers but i'm like i thought that jairus walker would be like in the rotation and starting and they would have to like i was imagining a competent two-way team oh like, come on with- rick carlisle is not going to give a rookie unproven rookie significant minutes i just i saw a picture of rick carlisle and larry bird like like standing around and sharing a, a nice moment with jairus walker and i was like i think he's like i think he's <laughs> gonna just come in and get that try and he, you know he's like he's a he's a rookie but his game is very like kind of all about like veteran savvy also I just didn't think that like OB Toppin was going to, you know, be the thing that stopped Jairus Walker from getting any kind of minutes. Like he's just yeah. not playing at all. He's, he's played. He's, he's also, played. 
he's also the thing that's stopping the the Pacers from <laughs> being able to defend anyone. Yeah, I mean, I I think that Obi Toppin. I don't think that some people know how bad a defender Obi Toppin is. Like he's just like really stand out. Like yeah, like his body looks. His it just he just turns into like rubber on defense. Like he just he doesn't really move laterally. I mean, he can. Yeah. Yeah. He can't really stay in front. I, of I mean, I think the like Tyrese Halliburton is like is so good they're they're surrounding him with they just never-ending finishers right so it's mm-hmm. like he's always playing with like miles turner and like obi toppin or jalen smith or isaiah jackson like there's just lob threats everywhere which is another similarity they have with dallas uh, but like they're just asking like bruce brown and miles turner to do all of the defense and that's just like i just think they need one more player that's geared towards defense and I thought they had it on their roster. So I'm just like, I, I never get excited about an all offense team. So I'm not excited about Dallas. And I'm not excited about Indiana as they are sort of like presently playing. Your favorite player, Andrew Nemhard, is kind of taking a bit of a backseat this year with Bruce Brown coming in. Yeah, but he's still, I mean, he's still playing. I yeah, his, his role's decreased. Right? He's playing like, he's only, he's not even cracking 20 minutes this year. Yeah, it's true. He's taking a step um, back in the rotation. Speaking uh, of like, speaking uh, of Andrew, we have another Nemhard at Gonzaga this year, and he's been excellent so far. So is it is it a, is it a little brother? It's a little brother. I think it's. A I need brother. to stay up on these Ryan college Nemhard. Canadians. Yeah, so I mean, you know, I know the uh, the Raptors kind of need a lead guard in the draft this year. Maybe they should take a look at one of their own Canadian brothers. Is he playing well? <laughs> Tell me yeah. more about Ryan Nemhard. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, he was at uh, he was at what's it called Doug McDermott's school in college the past couple of years creighton yeah and he kind of yeah. was a transfer to gonzaga upperclassman transfer okay nice so he's been i great. dig it i mean yeah team canada doesn't really need a point guard right now but but yeah the, the rap no, you're set <laughs> you're set there for at least the yeah. next 10 years <laughs> yeah that was that's i wish we were talking we're not talking about okc today but I, I i always want to they've 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 looked good yeah any more dallas thoughts or do you want to move on to another team that i have you know pre-reasons to be excited about talking about Let's the exact on. opposite of all these teams we're talking about. Okay, Minnesota. If you're sick like I am of talking about bottom five defenses and top offenses, let's talk Enough about the number one defense <laughs> in the NBA. And not quite a bottom five offense, but not really a good offense either. The Minnesota Timberwolves. The Timberwolves of Minnesota. I think basically playing the best stretch of basketball the franchise has played since 2004. Right. That was the last time Minnesota had a really high-level team, right? It's been a minute. Yeah, and I would like I, – I don't know. I mean, that team made the Western Conference Finals, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. quite call it a high-level. That's the best we've ever played, for sure. It was KG um, plus a decent supporting cast, as opposed to KG and a bad supporting cast, which was I, the rest of his I, I always want to – like, people like to say that, but then if you actually just go look at what that supporting cast is, like Sam Cassell – there was a synergistic effect with Sam Cassell and Kevin yeah. Arnett that was amazing. But like, who was the third best Timberwolf on that team? Like it's taken you. No, Marbury was long gone by then. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm not, I'm not super well versed with the roster construction of early 2000s. <laughs> it was Timberwolves. like, it, it was either a 33, 34 year old Latrell Spreewall who was shooting 40% from the field. Yeah. Or it was 28 games of Wally Zerbiak. Yeah, or it was Mike. Decent stretch there. I mean, he got hurt. He missed that whole season. He averaged 10 points per game. Like, he was our, yeah. he was like, you know, our, he was the best Timberwolf before 2004, before we got Sam Cassell. And then it's like, mm-hmm. it's Trenton Hassel. It's, it's Michael Oluwakandi was our starting center. Oh, okay. And, but he got hurt. So then Mark, Mark Madsen and like a 37 year old Irvin 
tragic johnson not magic but tragic <laughs> like it was a really bad team like it, it was it was it was a you know incredible miracle that that team made the western conference finals and then sam castell got hurt and all the magic just like you know went out of the room anyways yeah. we're talking 20 years after that exactly this is the 20th anniversary of the 2004 minnesota timberwolves this is, this is a younger team brighter future there's more hope involved this time yeah we're not built out of like about to fall apart pieces and like well, maybe there's one, nothing like but... who's who's our old oh Mike Conley yeah that's that's yeah. that's a good point we do have one, and and he is probably more crucial than he should be I think like I could I could see Mike Conley like you know going down for 15 games and all of a sudden like the wheels come off for a second in Minnesota but as of right now this pretty healthy roster only Jaden McDaniels is the significant player to miss any time the Minnesota Timberwolves have been absolutely crushing the top of the league like yeah. you know they just like they they just embarrassed denver they they got to a one and 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 two two start and no one no one cared it was like is this gonna be another year of like weirdness in minnesota and then they just crushed denver and got everyone's noticing and then a couple like you know the next like they just they beat boston <laughs> in an amazing game against them they've beat yep. golden state twice now they've just been taking care of business there's nothing like there's nothing sneaky in the numbers of like oh, the Timberwolves have a reckoning coming. If they keep playing like this, they're just a really good team. And they're not just like the best defense in the NBA. Like they're no, the they're best starting defense to in the get NBA. A, they're starting to develop a margin between them and the second best team. The last team to play defense like this over any stretch of time, if you'll allow me to transport us back to 2004 once again, is the sure. Detroit Pistons. Okay. Um, after they traded for Rashid Wallace. And they, they didn't play at this level all season. Just like after they traded for Rashid, they played at about like a, like 12 points better than league average. And right now, Minnesota is at 11.2. Now, adjusted numbers don't actually like the Timberwolves quite as much because because like they, because, you know, Golden State doesn't actually like have a very good record and, you know, they've been beaten twice kind of thing. But like yeah the defense looks good they're just huge like it was crazy to see them play against golden state and just being like oh we're bigger at every single position like yeah. like steph curry is matched up with Ant edwards right now and then like clay has like he's guarded up like a 610 guy clay and Jaden mcdaniels kind of got in a fight last night but yeah and that game ended up really not being a real game but the timberwolves came away with the win it's just like rudy gobert looks like back to his prime self which i was legitimately worried about like maybe rudy gobert is actually gonna take another step in the other in the bad direction well, so i think we all were uh, after yeah, watching been, the world cup yeah. that that's what did it for me too just like oh this is even worse than he was in the nba last year like this is this is trouble yeah i don't know maybe he just wasn't feeling that patriotic this summer he looked like he looked stiff. Like he, it was, that's the thing. Like it yeah. looked physical. Like it, it, he had a hard time moving and he's looked very fluid. It's not like you were even is, playing in a deep drop. He's been going on the perimeter and doing like, I mean, defensively, this, out there. this team has been awesome. I feel like offensively they, they have room for internal improvement though. Cause like cat hasn't been that good so far this year. Last two games he kind of perked up, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I just feel like cat cat is better than this offensively and he hasn't showed it yet, but. I think there's a good chance he will. The last four games, Cat has averaged 26 points per game on 55% shooting from the field and 50% shooting from the three-point line. Yeah. Still not really getting to the line, but you know he's not kind of like attacking the paint as much. He looks really bad to start the season. It wasn't just the shooting; like he looked like he, just that kind of chaotic 
decision making that sometimes plagues him where it's just like he's trying to prove something every time he go like he's like look at what a whiz passer i am what look at it like look i'm the best shoot, shooting big man in basketball oh i can post up anybody like he yeah. tries to do everything at once and it's just miserable but i think it was actually either in the san antonio or the golden state game he just kind of like looked a little calmer out there and was just making solid reads shooting the ball a ton from three driving when it's open and the big thing with cat though is even when the offense was bad this year is that this is his best defensive season to date so far like he's been chris finch has simplified the game a little bit for him and he is just staying in front of people and not having to like make a lot of complex backline reads just sort of like i am large and i am in your way has been most of his defensive game so far yeah no i'm totally on the same page with you there um i also the one thing i found interesting i've heard it said that the T-Wolves are showcasing the best perimeter defense in the NBA so far. I'd, I'd probably have to agree with that. Um, Ant, when he's locked in, has been scary. I think it's interesting, like, how much credit Jalen McDaniels has been for just being this, like, lockdown individual defender guy who has so much length but can also stay in front of anyone. And yet it's Ant who's guarding Jason Tatum with the game on the line. Yeah, well, I think that they've done going back to net last year – like, you know, there was that famous possession last year where they shut down Kyrie and Luca on the, like, the, you know, mm. just completely undress them in a crunch time possession. They like to put Jaden McDaniels on the preferred pick and roll thing. They like, they, they want to make it, they want to force the other team to kind of abandon their initial offense and not want that switch. So, like, Jason Tatum in a lot of those crunch time situations expects to be guarded by the best player they run an action for his like prefer like his preferred pick and roll partner you put Jaden mcdaniels on that and now all of a sudden they act they don't actually want to generate that switch so now they're like oh i guess we're gonna run an iso yeah so it's, it's like it's it's been a strategy i think that chris finch has used very intelligently the last couple seasons to just kind of like because everyone puts the best like you put your best defender on on the best player but teams like to run pick and rolls and get into some of their action doing that so it kind of just takes that away and and kind of force it forced boston into just like oh we're not going to do any of our fun offensive stuff we're just going to have jason tatum attack one-on-one yeah and which totally like doesn't work <laughs> because <laughs> ant is like that crazy level of athlete and create can react to things so quickly when he's really locked in on defensive possession it's like you you rarely see this but it's like the other team's star has a spot that he wants to get to where even where he, if he's really tightly contested, he knows he can still pull up and get a shot off. And Ant, like, almost beats him there to the punch. And then he's just up in his face so much that, you know, Tatum can't, like, do his normal dip and shooting motion. <laughs> it's just, like, really awesome individual defense to see. He's kind of, like, you know, he's kind of got that, like, Kobe thing where, like, I'm not sure that the overall defensive impact is, is, is amazing. Like, mm -hmm. I still think of him as... I still kind of think of him as our like the fifth best defender on the floor for most of the game. But if you're going yeah. to ha have someone hound someone on a single possession, yeah, and like there's just no one, there's not very many people, if any people in the NBA who are like that strong with that kind of foot speed and that kind of like reactivity. He's got long yeah. arms too. So it's like he's, yeah, he's like Tatum's a, Tatum's a, size mismatch on ant but not like not the usual size match that like a six nine to a six four guy normally is so i mean yeah i mean ants ants been amazing he's also been making much better reads i think like as much as ant is a bit of like a can be a bit of a boneheaded decision maker he's really unboneheaded when it comes to like executing a game plan he does like he does what 
the coach tells him to like he doesn't have any kind of like ah, i don't really you know i'd like a lot of star players are like yeah coaches told me a lot of things but i'm kind of feeling it right now so i'm just gonna go for it like yeah like, i listened to so many chris finch interviews about how he wanted to use anthony edwards this coming season and then i watched the games i'm like anthony edwards is doing exactly the things that chris finch like you know he just upped his catch and shoot looks and he's just sort of like he's canned a little a, a couple of those like you know get into his bag and take a pull up like from like you know 19 feet or something like that i just think it's and yeah i mean he's making i still don't think he's an amazing like reader of the game which is kind of why we really need mike conley and kyle anderson like having the ball in their hands for a lot of the kind of flow of offense stuff but no one's no one can be upset with how cat sorry how ant is playing so far this season yeah i would just say like my only concern with the timberwolves probably guard depth you know mclaughlin's out for a while you don't really have a lot of depth if anything happens to Conley. Uh, mm. You know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is kind of, I guess, your main guy off the bench. Um, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who's another guy who's had an amazing defensive season so far, yeah. he's another place where I think there's some offensive upside. If he can just start shooting, like, a little bit better. Then, oh, I thought you were going to you know, stop he, there. I was like, he doesn't mind shooting. He's already got that figured out. I mean, that's kind of been his rap. He's been like a, a, a weird, tough shot taker sort of thing. Yeah. But um, I do think that like he it, like the shooting's just been cold. I, I don't think he's been – he has not been taking shots anything like he has previously in his career. Like he's been pretty – I say he's actually more been on the side of like not aggressive enough. But he's not yeah. really hitting shots. So I guess I'm glad that he the shot selection thing is toned down a little bit. So it I think between him and Shake – I would say it puzzled me just a tiny bit about how the team didn't bring back Jalen Noel just because it's a guy who can create a shot for himself. Like, I, I know he's not great, but... Jalen Noel was really bad last year. He didn't, like, Jalen... I feel like Jalen Noel got his shot last year to, to, to play this exact role you're talking about, like, offensive guard off the bench, and instead, like, you know, he shot under 30% for three. Yeah, there just wasn't enough there to commit to him. It'd be one thing if he was like a neutral defender, but it's just like he's a super poor defender. He, he averaged 10 points on like nine shots. So he just, he was just like, I, I don't think there was any taste for bringing Jalen Noel back. Like that was, he had a shot last year yeah. and he, he kind of blew it. Okay. Maybe if he just been hotter from three, things would have worked out. But like, I'm not surprised they didn't bring him back. Like they, they seem more like let's roll the dice on someone else. They brought in Shake Milton, who is bigger, a mm-hmm. little bit more defensively sound, a little bit more versatile. Not the same level of theoretical scoring threat that Jalen Noel is, but like pretty, like I'm, everyone's been happier with that. The other thing that's been okay. surprising is on the front court side of things is that Nas Reed, the two big, we, we've only played two big lineups all season and they've held yeah. up, def- obviously held up defensively, which was yeah. a problem last year. Like, so that's been cool. Nas Reed's been lights out. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he, the the franchise you know had a lot of faith in him and he is more like more than delivered he like i was a little bit like are we i mean i was like happy because he's a cool guy and he's a fun player to watch but i was like structurally is this going to make sense so it's nice to see some early returns on that can you do you remember was he undrafted or was he like a late second round pick i can't you know. nas reed was yeah i don't think you i don't yeah i don't think he was drafted i remember I coming he, into college he was highly regarded then at LSU, it's like, okay, he's kind of big. He's a little bit lumbering. He's undersized as a five. He wasn't totally shooting threes yet in college. So, I mean, he didn't really have yeah. an NBA game, so it made sense how he wasn't drafted. And he just – he just great developmental story there, I would say. He was a top 20, top 20 recruit, right? Like yeah. he was – yeah, and I don't – anyways, he's like 
Yeah, I don't I don't think he was a second round draft pick by the Wolves, so I think I think he was undrafted, but okay. yeah, huge season for him. He's like just a super aggressive scorer. He's, and and the team has put him in a good position to like just be a super aggressive scorer. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I really yes, I, I really enjoy watching the Timberwolves. They're just they kind of break a lot of the NBA trends. You know, two bigs, a lot of shot creation coming out of a you know, a couple of centers, one of whom is playing out of position. It's not what you see a lot um in the league today so it's a nice change of pace i think it's it's just fun too as a like as a fan of the team to just be bigger than everyone every night and and it not be like something that's hurting us it's just like yeah it's just cool like sometimes when we're grabbing a rebound it just makes me feel secure as a fan i'm like yeah yeah we are gonna get that rebound because we're huge and oh that shot is gonna be tough for star player x here because we're a lot bigger than them like yeah it's nice <laughs> Well, I mean, there are a decent amount of teams now that are putting two seven-footers on the floor and having it be really effective defensively. Like, the Bucks are doing this. The Grizzlies, when healthy, are doing this. The Cavs, right? So if you can yeah, make it work I mean, offensively, it, it's totally viable. I mean, the thing with the Wolves is it didn't look like it, they were going to be able to make it work defensively. Like, it just wasn't. Like, Cat is not. All these other teams you're mentioning are two really good defensive players, and Cat really wasn't that, and Nas really isn't that. So... I think that was the, the bigger worry with them. But yeah, I mean, the best defensive teams, not every single one, but most of the best defensive teams for the past two or three seasons have been doing it with dual bigs. As like, yes. whenever someone's just like, you know, they want Jaron Jackson Jr. or Evan Mobley to be like the center in a small ball lineup. It's just like, that hasn't worked since like 2017, 2018. Like the, yeah. the league has not actually like, that it's it's good to have that option in your bag to be able to downsize in the playoffs and go more mobile, but that's it's pretty rare that that survives, or it's like it's less likely that survives defensively. So, I've been calling for the the twin the rise of the twin towers to become more apparent the last like few seasons, and I think it's here though. Who's yeah. who's playing? Boston is kind of is going. Boston's like, trying it. It hasn't worked so far, but I mean Porzingis is a super new addition, so. Maybe it'll be yeah. something that gets better as the season goes along. Yeah, Boston's been a lot better when Horford and Porzingis do not share the court together. Yeah, they're the like they're the best kind of like one big five out team. Mm-hmm. Like, and they're, like they're the second best defense in the NBA right now. So, and you yeah, know, Miami, they, they, they surround the one big with plus defenders at every position. <laughs> yeah, it, no, no, no one like, else can do that. So. Yeah, like two of the top three guard defenders in the NBA, and then just like two really like Jason Tatum's an amazing defensive yeah. wing, and yeah, and then, yeah, if they wanted to size, if they needed to size up, they do have Al Horford there. So, well, speaking of Boston, Bo- let's talk about this team that I think Boston kind of <laughs> modeled themselves after at one point in time, the Los Angeles Clippers, yeah. and things have kind of changed in Clippers land since then. It's like I wanted to say about you know like. Like Boston is so good that it's kind of boring to talk about them. Yeah, you know, like like they're just sort of like they're just so functionally well built and and you know close to it. And then you look over at the Clippers, and they're like kind of built the same way, in a sense. And they're really bad, and they're extremely like no one shuts up about them. Like everyone's talking about the Clippers constantly, and like yeah. for all the wrong reasons, like. This, out of the two teams built around like you know two two wings who aren't great passers things are going in very opposite directions for for Boston and and the LA Clippers well things used to be different for the Clippers I mean I think there was a point in time where if healthy they were definitely in the mix championship contention wise and things didn't yep. work out with injuries 
um, it's more the direction the Clippers have taken since then, where they've diverged from their original path, which I think has caused them real problems. I mean, because at one time, like, yeah, they did have the two wings that weren't the best playmakers in the world, but they just had, like, really solid defensive supporting cast around them. Lots of guys who can space the floor, lots of options, lots of versatility. And now they're the team that's, like, anti-versatility in a league that's all about versatility. You know, I I wanted to clown on them a little bit by just saying, like, this is a team built around, like, solid defensive wings and, like, really protecting that back line as we talked about with Philly early on. And they, they kind of traded away their, their final two remaining players who were able to do that outside of Kawhi and Paul George in acquiring Harden. It's hard to, like, if it's going to work out for the Clippers, it's going to, you know, be something that's happening later in the season because obviously we know how bad things are going for them right now. But with how bad things are going right now, like, it's just like, how did, like, I get that, you know, there's a star player available and you didn't have to give up everything to get him. And it's really hard for NBA franchises to pass that up, especially when they're a team that has dealt with injuries and their star players being out. But like, Russell Westbrook and James Harden is such a terrible idea of a duo. There's just no way to maximize both those guys on the floor at the same time. And not only without... is it a terrible idea, we've actually seen this before. <laughs> we've seen this on the court. We've seen this play out before. We've seen that it doesn't work. Especially not oh, they, like, with the Houston, roster the Clippers have. Houston kind of made it work, but they had to... They had to completely... Like, they had to get rid of Clint Capella. They had to basically remove all the big... Like, they had to play like the weirdest lineup ever to make it even sort of make sense. And also those were better players. Like that was prime James Harden and, you know, Russell Westbrook was still theoretically close to his prime at that point. Like they're both a lot older and have been through a lot since then in a negative way. Like they're just like, they're not like James Burden, James Harden does not have that level of of bursted anymore. And Mm -hmm. Russell Westbrook's, you know, like, you know, shooting ability and and ball control has has gotten worse since then too. And he's just sort of like older. The Russ thing with with the like Russ with Paul and Kawhi and defensive pieces was kind of working. Like we were all upset about the Russell Westbrook trade last year. And then it kind of worked because like he he gave them the things that that roster really lacked. He was unpredictable. He gave them a lot of pace and speed. He got into the paint and could st- give their offense some driving kick to start possessions off with advantage. Like, like, you know, we were, we were all haters. Uh, like most people were hating on that trade, but it, it, it kind of, it worked for reasons that we now understand. Harden is the exact opposite of all those things, right? Like yeah. he, hard, like we were talking, when we were talking about Philly, like Harden is methodical. He's smashing the X button. He likes to get the ball. He likes to reset a possession. He likes to get into his bag and do things his preferred way. I'd say I'd argue James Harden is the most deliberate player in NBA history, though sometimes like, well, unless Kawhi is like Harden just likes to do after after Brandon Ingram, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a fair that's a fair point. Brandon Ingram likes to do things his own way. Yes, he's playing better. He's he's playing well, actually, right now, this, this, this past three or four games. But it's just like, why don't why do you? want to play like this so badly and why are you so opposed to like doing anything except for like the three things that you like to do it's not i i don't i didn't i didn't mean to derail us that much but (laughs) i think about brandon ingram a a lot i do think he's actually the right person to bring up there but james harden is is like that and and it's it's been a really bad start and they've also just guaranteed they can't have a good defensive lineup anymore like what's the 
what is the defensive lineup that the Clippers can put on the floor right now if they like they need one stop to save their life. Which four well, five it, it Clippers can't, it, it cannot there? involve Harden. That's the problem. <laughs> can't involve Harden. It can't can involve, involve your theoretically third best player. Zubach has quietly not quite that quietly because I've heard other people with the same take, but like Zubach has not is not having a good year and he's not like yeah. meshing in a lot of these actions. He's he looks struggling with a little bit of a back injury right now. So I think that's is that what time. it is? Okay. Yeah, Cause, Cause he just doesn't look like a guy who can like really catch a lob right now, which is like, I mean, he's never been like, the most vertical threat in the world, even when fully healthy. No, but he's had a, like a little bit like, yeah, if he like, he, yeah, he's not, he's not like, I don't know, Mitchell Robinson or Derek lively, but he's like rolling down the lane. Going to get a dunk this year. He looks more like kind of Jonas valanciunas in a lot of those situations where it's just like, there is no vertical here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I think the biggest problem I had with the Harden trade is like, this is a great example of like the kind of things that a dumb franchise does. And I, I relish a little bit in saying that because I feel like a few years ago, the Clippers got so much credit for being like having this brilliant front office for like surrounding two stars with a decent supporting cast. And then they've just made so many terrible decisions since then. That are really hard to justify like not just through hindsight but you know a few people were bullish on the clippers acquiring james harden but i feel like the a lot of the smart basketball minds that i i trust and rely on for insight like almost entirely predicted exactly how this was going to play out because like you have a player in james harden like like you said is, is really deliberate will really pound the air out of the basketball um, on a team that already struggles to be dynamic offensively totally doesn't pair well at all with his backcourt mate in Russell Westbrook. And this is a guy who like really like James Harden no longer has the burst to get by people without a really solid screen anymore. He's very reliant on having a high level pick and roll partner. And then the Clippers have, you know, arguably like one of the worst center rotations in the NBA. Like they, they don't have that pick and roll yeah. pairing for James Harden, which is like <clears throat> what makes Harden still effective with, like the his game as it as it currently stands in his mid thirties, they just felt like what? they correctly diagnosed the problem, which is this team lacks playmaking, but then they went the entirely wrong direction in trying to address the need. Yeah, and I heard a lot of people, the people who were saying trying to figure out, try to invent, imagine a version of how the Clippers would work after this trade. They're like, well, well, you know, Harden and Westbrook won't play together. They'll send Westbrook to the bench. And when I heard that, I was like. I like, yeah, that sounds nice, but like, like I know Ty Lue's not going to do that. That's like most NBA, like it's that like makes no coach has a stomach. Sense. It makes too much sense. But then also like, you know, we saw how things went on the, uh, like, you know, in with the other LA team with like, I just think like, if you're going to have, if you're going to have Westbrook, you kind of, you got to do a little bit of living and dying by Westbrook. And he was playing great to start the season. He had actually mm -hmm. sort of really toned down some of the like, wilder stuff but but now you're in like okay we need to mitigate russell westbrook territory and like that it's we just saw this happen in the same city like mm -hmm. i'm not i don't want to live through this again the clippers are, are making me do it it's it's funny because yeah they had a kind of they got a lot of credit for they basically did the exact same thing the brooklyn nets did and now are facing down the same like they they built a really plucky interesting team Shea Gilgis Alexander, they like were, you know, they're built at a funny spare, part, spare parts like Lou Williams and Mont Montrez Harrell and Gallinari and Tobias Harris, but they were a, a plucky playoff team that was like, you know, punched above their weight. 
And then yep. they traded in like the same with Brooklyn when it was D'Angelo Russell and Jared Allen. They just traded in all of that to go after stars, which you totally understand. Brooklyn gets Durant and Kyrie Irving and the Clippers got Kawhi Leonard at when he looked like the best player in the world. And Paul George, who's like the, you know, the perfect player to put next to, to a star like that. And they, but even when they made that move, it was like, I, I never felt like, wow, like people were like, wow, Clippers coup is like, yeah, but they gave up everything to do that. And like these players, like Kawhi Leonard's health was already a problem back then. Like mm-hmm. he just barely squeaked through. Like in the finals, Kawhi Leonard was playing on one leg. Like we already know this guy's kind of broken down. Paul George had his ups and downs. Paul George just had two so- shoulder surgeries. And then every move they've made, like since then, I've liked some of them, but it hasn't been. It's been much more that of a desperate franchise that is kind of like chasing stars and doing crazy things and not playing Terrence Mann any minutes. And that's yeah, it's like. I, I was really excited for them last year when it was like Nick Batum and Rob Covington. And it was like, yeah, we're not going to play Rob Covington. And now they got, they got PJ Tucker now, 38 year old PJ Tucker. Yeah. It's, I, it's funny because, you know, last time we talked about them, I just joked about what a depressing team was a team. The LA Clippers were to talk about. And then the way the season started, I was like, Oh, the next, the next episode, Simon and I do, I'm going to have so many good things to say with the Clippers. I really love yeah, the basketball. It, it started playing. well at the beginning of the year. Yeah. <laughs> and then but we didn't record an episode until after the Harden trade and the Harden trade has gone just about as I mean it's just been the worst like they've lost yeah. six games in a row since the trade Harden didn't play in the first one but like obviously they lost a lot of depth in that trade so that's part of that loss that they got got to take they were three and one and now they're yeah now they're one of the worst teams in the NBA things will get better because like only because they really can't get any worse than this obviously like losing every yeah. game is as bad as it possibly gets but yeah I don't know I'm not gonna I'm not excited about the Clippers again <laughs> I mean offensively they'll have nights where it's better um they'll have nights where Kawhi just goes takeover mode like I think one of the most damaging things about this trade so far is is yes the backcourt fit is super awkward but also like They've taken a lot of possessions away from Kawhi and Paul George and given them to Harden. And thus far, Harden has kind of just been pounding the air out of the ball and then launching up terrible shots. <laughs> That's kind of been his offense so far. So, I mean, he'll he'll find more of a groove. Like, he's still talented, and he's probably playing his way into shape a little bit. So I'm sure at times this season the offense will look better than it has. But I, It'll I think, look like Philly did last year. Yeah, and I, I just think they – they don't have a cohesive enough team. They don't have the right pieces defensively anymore. This was a team at the start of the year, I thought, with Westbrook playing well, with Kawhi and Paul George and a little bit of veteran depth still. You know, it's, it's one of those teams that had an outside chance at making a title run. I, I don't really see that anymore with their roster. Even if the Stars are playing well, like, defensively, the team just doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. I Like, I do think, I, I do think they're going to run some, like, philly james harden stuff basically treating Kawhi leonard like he's joel Embiid, because yeah. a lot you, you, like it is like you know like like put him at the elbow get him a pocket pass but also just put Kawhi leonard into good positions to get off his like that elbow jumper kind of thing because Kawhi looks slow too like this isn't like we were just talking like philly was so boring and slow last year and it was like off, like painful and methodical and i think that's just like this is a really really slow methodical team and, and no one has lost more burst, I'd say, over the past three, four years than those two players, Kawhi Leonard and James Harden. Well, that's I just why think I keep, it's going to be a, 
that's why I keep hammering the, the defensive thing. Like it's it's fine to be a slow methodical team if you're Boston and you can, you know, and you can just really squeeze the life out of your opponent and enforce just kind of like this incremental advantage team where you just have slightly better possessions than they do for 48 minutes. But like the Clippers yeah. aren't really built to do that. Yeah. They're built with offensive They're... firepower. <laughs> you know, it doesn't necessarily fit together all that well, but like theoretically they should be outscoring people. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think they'll find some way to get back to that. But I do, and I think we'll see the defense drop and the offense sort of rise a bit. It's, you can't really use numbers on them yet because like they got this nice start with a completely differently constructed team, but Clippers, someday I'll have something nice to say about you on this podcast, but it's not today. Today is not that day. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. So we hit some of the topics we wanted to hit today. Talked about all of them, you know, way more than we thought we would, which is just, that's all we do here at the underhand free throw. And, you know, so, so thanks for showing up to listen to us do that all the time. That's what we do. And everyone, please remember, it's really urgent that you keep in your hearts that ball is life. We'll catch you next time.